We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and regular guest on the show, Will Jackson. Guys, how are we doing? I'm all right, Nick. Uh, we're going to discuss uh, one of our best players today, so I'm pretty excited over that. It surprises me that it was barely 10 minutes ago that Will didn't even know this man's nickname. <laughs> yeah, apparently on Basketball Reference, his nickname is uh, Baby Durant, so... Hey, and if you don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about Karis LeVert. We're going to do the season review on him. Quick reminder before we get into it, though, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But, Jack, I'm going to pass it over to you. Yeah, of course you want to speak about him, you fuck. <laughs> uh, let's get it going. Let's get it going. So a quick review of last year, boys. Talk us through Karis LeVert's 2018-19. I mean, obviously, it was an emotional season for him with the, with the uh, sub-talent dislocation of his foot. Uh, I mean, that just put a damper on. He had such an amazing start because before the injury, he was averaging 18 points a game. He had so many amazing moments for this team that we'll get into later. But um, just overall as a season for him, I mean, obviously I mentioned the injury made him miss 42 games. But, uh, at, like, as a season as a whole, it was just such an improvement over last year, and it gave us so much to look forward to for him. It was a roller coaster ride for Karis, and I'm sure you know you'll hear that from him on the Woj pod that he was on. You know, he started the season like Will mentioned, looked like a runaway for most improved player. You know, has the injury, misses a ton of games, comes back, kind of has some type of rhythm, but still not the same that he was in the beginning of the year. And then as it gets closer to the playoffs, he's finding himself. And then by the time the playoffs come, he's probably back to being the Nets' best player, at least the Nets' best two-way player. Yeah, and I think that. You know, we spoke about it on the, the season review as a whole yesterday that, you know, I value Karis Levert a bit higher in terms of the two-way potential, in terms of ceiling potential, but it was just sensational. And I think that what gets lost at the moment was the adversity he had to go through, not just through the injury, but when he got back, you know, there was a lot of people doubting him. I'm sure he had plenty of self-doubts himself, but to be able to push through that and make such an impact at the most important time for any basketball player, 
Uh, it shows how good of a player he is, but it shows to his character. And any person that can push through that adversity and succeed at the highest level, I mean, we can't speak highly enough for this kid. Mental yeah. toughness is at a different level for him. Yeah, and Sean Murph speaks highly of him every time that his name comes up. I mean, just to see that injury happen and you think that he's out for the year and, you know, he's getting all these, like, comparisons to other bad injuries and then he just comes back sooner than everyone expected. And, I mean, obviously, like Nick said, it took him a little while to find it. But then, I mean, he was our best player in the playoffs. And, I mean, yep. without him, we probably wouldn't win that one game. I mean, who knows what would happen. But he kept us in a couple of the other games in that uh, series. But, I mean, he was just such a vital piece to this team. Yeah, and I think, you know, when the injury happened, it wasn't like, oh, Karras will be back this year. No, we thought that this could be career-threatening, and he was able to bounce back. And like Jack mentioned, the fact of going and having the doubts, you know, personally from outside sources, and I'm sure it's just lingering on you, oh, this team did so well without me, and now I'm back. I'm kind of ruining things. We lose a couple games. But he's able to push himself and be the best player for the Nets in that playoff series. And he wasn't just, you know, good for the Nets. He was the top isolation scorer in the NBA playoffs so far, you know, based off points per possession. So he really had an incredible playoffs, you know, and probably Kenny should have played him more in game one, two, and three. Game four is when he got those minutes, and he really popped off and almost gave the chance, gave the Nets a chance to win that game. Did you guys expect him to get back to this level? Not this year. Honestly, yeah. no. I didn't expect him to play this year, but I mean, yeah. when, but in terms of like after I saw his first 10 games back, I didn't expect to see this until next season. The confidence yeah. was incredible. It, it really was. And I mean, you, you make the direct comparison to a guy who had a, a similarly serious injury with, with Gordon Hayward. But I think Karras did mention, like he said on the Woj pod, Nick, that as soon as he was told, he was high on the, the morphine and, and you know, all, <laughs> all the drugs immediately after it. But he, he felt that feeling of positivity because it was like, look, there's nothing that's like mangled down here. It's a pretty clean break. It's a, just a dislocation, uh, as Will mentioned, that, you know, your recovery won't leave any long-term lingering effects. You know, there's not going to be long-term issues like, you know, Derek Rose has have to, had to endure in relation to these ACLs and stuff. So, I think that what we've seen is just proof that, you know, he's going to come in bigger and better next season. And we talked about on preseason pods, Nick, that, you know, he was, you know, getting all the buzz from all the players. He was just like, he's tearing up practice. And he was just the, the talk of the town, despite the fact that D'Angelo Russell is the boy, he's the face of the franchise. He's the marketability, marketability of this team. Karis LeVert was just tearing things up and, you know, to finish the season the way he did, it's, it's going to be really positive for him and D'Angelo and the team as a whole to take some momentum into that offseason. And I love yeah. that in his exit interview, sorry to cut you off, Will, that he mentioned how he was ready to get right back into it after they lost in the playoffs. Like he was ready to go to work and take that next step in his game, even though he had an incredible series. Yeah, and that's what you love to hear about him. I mean, that's just the kind of person he is. Uh, if you know his story, you know that he's been through a lot in his life. So this is, little roadblock for him is nothing compared to, just the jet, the big picture. So, I mean, just to see yeah. him bounce back, it's such a great story and such a positive look for the future of this organization. Definitely. And keeping on that sort of positive positive front, uh, what were your favorite moments uh, of Karis LeVert's 2018-19? I mean, there were three that stuck out to me, but I guess if I had to choose one, just against the Crosstown rivals early in the season, I mean, Knicks fans were all up in our business about how they're going to get Durant and Zion and Kyrie Irving and then just for Karis LeVert to hit that dagger at the end that layup that just oh, it was such a great moment that how it hung in the Nets locker room for however long just the picture of him flexing his muscle after he made the layup just oh, such a great moment for this season man that's my favorite 
and it set the tone for the year. I really love that play. Obviously, the game winner against Denver was huge. But for me, it was the playoff series and that game four performance when, you know, they didn't win the game. But the fact is he stepped up so much in that game. And he was really dominant in that game. If you go back and watch the highlights, he was scoring on everybody on Philly. And when he wasn't scoring, he was setting up guys to knock down shots or get easy loops at the rim, a.k.a. Jared Allen. Yeah, finished the game with 25 points, five rebounds, six assists, and a steal. Um, the, the dude is just something else in so many ways. Uh, my favorite moment was his uh, game one performance. Just to be able to get out there, you know, finish the game with 23 rebounds, four rebounds, a couple of assists, and a steal uh, in only 23 minutes as well. Um, I just thought that, you know, and I think that that moment, and he hit all these threes. It just seemed he was in rhythm. He hit all these free throws. Um, he was just super duper important to make that impact on on game one. Just showed that how special he's going to be. And you know, a couple of other guys had similar moments to you guys. Matt Naq, um, he he posted the photo that's hanging up in Barclays Center of Kosovo, driving on Tim Hardaway. You know, and Tyler Galanti as well. Nick, uh, in your mentions, I uh, mentioned the same moment. One of the best gifts. Maybe in Nets history, I'll, I'll, it's one of my favorites, just, to, just showing off the muscles. He's pretty ripped, despite the fact he's going to grow up a little bit. But Karras has got some biceps, got some triceps. And then a really underrated moment from from Billy, uh, that where he that sort of hustle play where he saved the ball someone's through the player's legs against Indiana. Uh, do you remember that moment, Nick? I, I know you had a bit I of do. back and forth with it. Yeah, so it was against Indiana. This is a game the Nets lost, but I believe it was in the first half, maybe late first quarter or second quarter, and he's running out of bounds for a hustle play. I think he throws it between his own legs, and then it ends up being a fast-break score for the Nets. Yeah, I mean, that just kind of shows the player that he is, just he's never going to give up on the play. I mean, he just he provides so much energy when he's there. And it's just, you know, we say it's emblematic of him, but you can't drum the, the point home enough. He's just... He does the little things as well as he does the driving to the lane. He wants to make an impact in so many different ways. He's he's got the the hustle of a of a Marcus Smart and and the talent of you know guys like Victor Oladip. Obviously, you know we're speaking highly of him, but we're talking ceiling potential here. But so many great moments with Karis Levert this season, and hopefully even more to come next season. But and one, I just want to throw an honorable mention. Sorry, when he dunked on a, it was only like a slight dunk, so I don't want to say he dunked on him, but when he threw one down right in front of Joel Embiid in the playoffs. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, dunk-ish. It was nice. Yeah. And he probably should have got a foul for it as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Nets no never, really, never really get the calls. But uh, we'll move on. We don't want to get too frustrated uh, on this <laughs> pod. Uh, so in terms of the ideal lineup for him, guys, looking back on this season, what do you think uh, makes the best use of Karis Levert's uh, talents in terms of a five-man lineup? Well, he's such a unique player because he is a shooting guard, but he is so great handling the ball, especially towards the end of a possession. So it's kind of weird, but kind of what I put on was surround him with a lot of shooters like Joe Harris or Alan Crabb type players and possibly like another pick and roll partner for him. But what do you think, Nick? Yeah, pretty much. I think that's what you got to do for Karras is you want to get him in either an isolation situation and what you need for that is floor spacers or you want to get him in the pick and roll where he's able to kind of use his skills and his footwork to get in the paint, you know, either knock down that teardrop, set somebody up for an oop or use that great footwork to kind of shoot a little bit of a jump shot. Yeah, I'm going a bit more specific with this one, guys, with players that we have on the roster and maybe sort of just prototypical sort of players that could fit as well. So I had I had D'Lo, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, and uh, some sort of four that can space the floor as well. Karras can hit that three ball, and he's when he shows it well, and you can just see the arc on it. You know, early in the season when he was really hitting it, he showed some really smooth arc on the ball, and I expect that to come back. And even in the playoffs, we could just see, you know, it wasn't the sort of flat sort of push shot 
that occasionally when he doesn't have his legs, or he doesn't have his rhythm. So I think that those guys and just a four-spacing wing uh, is what's best for, for D'Angelo. Oh, not D'Angelo, for Karras. <laughs> but it yeah. is great for D'Angelo as well. And one thing it's I not felt bad like... Him either. Oh, felt that we didn't get to see a ton this year, and this was kind of for him coming back, coming off the bench a little bit more, is he probably didn't get as much time with Jared Allen as he would have liked because they have a great chemistry in the pick and roll, and we saw that a little bit more in the playoffs than we did at the end of the regular season. Yeah, and early in the season, too, that worked. Just going back to what Jack said, I, I had pretty much the same lineup, but I put Rody in there just because of he's a guy that we have on the roster, and we've seen him hit that outside shot before, so he'd kind of be a good spacer for him. But, yeah, I mean, for Karras, it's just all about letting him do his thing in isolation and just seeing what he can do with the ball. Get him that space. Yeah, and I don't hate um, him with Spencer as well, You know, despite the fact that they have similar sort of skill sets. Spencer can hit the three ball, I think, a little more confidently. And I think it helps just having, you know, two guys that can just ISO and do their thing. And, you know, if if one of them's getting doubled, you just kick it out. Or if one of them's getting blitzed, you just kick it out to the other bloke. I think that the Nets have some good depth. And obviously, you know, Joe Harris is going to be there next year. Jared Allen's going to be there next year. D'Angelo will likely be there. We'll obviously speak about him uh, at, at a latter point and plenty throughout this offseason. So I, I think that... The lineups and, and the potential to, to utilize Karis LeVert's talents uh, are not limitless but, and not endless, but there's some options there. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is going to kind of depend on the offseason if they could get that true four, you know, someone to space the floor. Rodion's has had his moments of knocking down three. It's about finding some consistency, and I think that's what's hurt the offense at different times is who they play at that four or at that three can't really knock down the shot consistently, and teams don't have to respect them as much. Yeah, and that's yeah, why def- a lot of people – sorry, Jack. No, I was just going to say, yeah, definitely, literally. Yeah, and that's why a lot of people mentioned Tobias Harris. I mean, he's had his inconsistencies, but he is that four who is better than anyone that we have on the roster at the four position in terms of stretching the floor. The floor. Yeah, and you want to hear a soundbite on that? Check out my Twitter page. <laughs> bang, bang. Self-promotion. Shameless self-promotion. Uh, lads, grading this season for Karras. Successful disappointment? I mean, that I put it as successful. I mean, obviously the injury was a huge disappointment in itself, but – yeah. In terms of just what he showed when he was on the court, how could you not say it was a successful season for him? I mean, he improved in a lot of areas that we'll get to in a minute, but just in terms of an overall season, it was a huge success in my eyes. A hundred percent. You know, obviously the injury was really disappointing, and but that's something he can't control. I think the fact is he went from the previous season probably being a fringe starter to being a fringe all-star. You know, if he was healthy the entire year, he's probably making the all-star team. So really no way to look at this as a disappointment because he improved so many areas, like Jack mentioned before we were talking on the show, that we did a season preview and we were like, all right, he needs to improve in these areas, and he really took steps in those areas. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to nitpick, there was disappointments, obviously, with the injury and getting back and not finding his form immediately. But that's just almost sacrilege to say, you know, going through his month-by-month splits, you know, before the injury, October and November, in October, averaging nearly 19 points, November, 17.7 points. And then when he got back in Feb, you know, he only averaged nine points and then just a shade under 11 points in March. Obviously, he found his footing in the playoffs, you know, in April, averaging nearly 16 points. So um, I think that if you're nitpicking, that was probably a, somewhat of a disappointing element of the season. But I think but that... I think that's expected almost, like if you come back missing 40 games. So I wouldn't even be disappointed about it. Yeah, and I was going to say, you'd flip it on its head. The fact that he got through that, got back to his, you know, the form that he knows, got back to his game, you know, I, I think that there was a lot of games where we sort of spoke about throughout the season where it's like, oh, Karras found his footing again, and then he just, you know, he has a, a scoreless night or whatever it might be. Or the shot just isn't falling. He looks good. His body movements are good. And it just the shot isn't falling. 
the yeah. shot started to fall and he started to hit the glass. He, he continued to be aggressive. And, you know, sometimes you just need to see the ball go through the basket. And I think that um, that gave him a lot of confidence. And uh, again, it was just such a, a really positive moment, not just for, for him personally, but for Nets fans and, and, and just the, the fan base in general. Yeah, and the fact that he showed development, I mean, from February to April just speaks a lot to him and how much he improved this year just because he was able to get through the slump and find it not only how he was in the beginning of the year, but you can argue that in April and March, he was a better player than he was in October. That postseason stretch was probably, I mean, it's a really small sample size going against Philadelphia, but it is, you know, a different type of basketball you're seeing in the playoffs. So I would argue he... His best stretch of basketball was against Philly in the playoff series. Yeah, I mean, I would say that as well. I think that to be able to do it against the highest competition uh, on the highest stage, you know, I'll, I'll continue to iterate it. But um, in terms of improvements that he made this season, I think that they're they're endless. But um, give me a couple, boys. Yeah, I mean, obviously his perimeter defense or defense in general was a huge improvement this year, um, just in terms of him guarding players and just being able to get steals and. He's just he showed so much improvement because I remember that was a little bit of a weakness for him last year. So that's one improvement. And then also just towards the end of the season, he was able to hit those outside shots again. And that was something that he struggled with a lot, like in his return from injury and also just even in the beginning of the season. I thought that was just a huge improvement for him just throughout the season. Yeah, obviously, uh, Jack has my notes, so he knows I have a long list on here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of areas that he was already pretty good at, but he took it to another step. So his driving ability he picked up, finishing through contact, which was an issue the previous season. And I think a lot of that he improved this year because he added some more size, added some more muscle, also improved footwork. Some of that comes with the muscle and the balance. Pick and roll, I felt like he was either even better this year, not in terms of maybe passing as much, but he got better as a score in the pick and roll, using a defender, his body to kind of shield him from blocking the ball. I think he improved as a passer towards the end of the season where he's not just making interior passes. He's making more three-point passes. Defensively, obviously, I think he picked up. Hustle was great. And I thought he was a low-key good cutter at moments during the season. I think it's an area he can improve on, but he slightly improved this year on that. Yeah, and I think in, in that sort of area, he can improve on it with a guy like D'Angelo Russell, obviously. He loves to, to find those cutters in Joe Harris or Rodion's courts. But um, I, I literally had all the same notes as you, Nick. But in terms of uh, more specifically on the defensive side of things, his man-to-man day, I think, got a lot better. And of also just getting the passing lens. I think he's our best our best wing defender and our best probably defender with, with Jared Allen on, on the roster we spoke about, you know, that in the, in, the, in the team season review. But in terms of his ability to get steals, you know, he can get pickpockets. He's strong. He's big. And he's only going to get better in that frame, in, in that sort of side of things, I think. So he's going to be super important on the defensive side. And was a reason why we exceed expectations on that end of the floor. Yeah, I think his team defense, he actually really stuck out, like you mentioned, Jack, getting in the passing lanes, having some length, and actually being really locked in and able to help his teammates. Yeah, Definitely. Jack, you mentioned that his man defense was so much better. I mean, I just wish that Kenny would able, was able to put him in that situation a lot more because, obviously, Nets fans always complained about Kenny always using the zone. So, I mean, it'd be great if next season he takes that step and, like, really becomes an elite defender. I think one thing with that, though, is it's a little bit harder to put him in a position if the other team is lacking. So, like, hey, we have Karis LeVert. We know he's an above average to a really good defender. And then we're looking at the other guys. Oh, he's probably below average. He's below average, below average. So we're in man-to-man. We're just not going to kind of go to Karis's guy, and we'll just attack him in every other avenue. And when it's a zone, it kind of forces them to adjust a little bit more. 
What's his defensive ceiling, guys? Obviously, we've spoken about all defensive team, you know, pretty profusely. But in terms of being uh, in at his position, you know, there's guys like Vitor Oladipo, Drew Holiday, uh, other guys that immediately spring to mind. Clay Thompson. They're probably the three best, you know, uh, two defenders in the league. If you want to count Andre Iguodala as one of those guys as well. But um, where does he sort of rank? Where could he rank? And that obviously we're going to get to where he ranks his position in a little bit, but just focusing on the defensive side. I think that he could reach top five. I mean, I mean, we'll see what happens. It depends on who else is in the league when he reaches his prime. But I mean, just in terms of what he's shown and what we've seen and how he's able to improve and how we've seen his improvement, I'd say that he can certainly become a top five defender at his position. Yeah, top five, top ten. We mentioned, like you mentioned, Jack, uh, all-team defense on the last year's show, and that was because Zach Lowe brought it up as well, that he could see him being an all-team defense. And I think a lot of it is just his physical skills. You know, he has a, a good body, you know, lengthwise. He moves his feet. And now it's just kind of improving in the mental aspect of the game, doing some of the small things that put yourself in better position and reading different players and understanding film a little bit more. Yeah, completely fair. But we'll get to – in in specifically areas that he needs to improve on. Did we speak about that? No, not yet. Let's get to it. Because there's nothing. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just All kidding. right. <laughs> he only shot 69% from the free throw line, and I think that's – I mean, he's really improved in getting to the line this season. But in terms of actually making those shots, I mean, that's something that plagued the Nets all season. And he was part of the problem with shooting 69%, and you'd like to see that improve a little bit. And the other thing I had – on there is just the outside shot. I'd like to see him hit that a little bit more consistently. Yeah, I think consistent shooting from the free throw line, like you mentioned, Will, and the three-point shooting, maybe a slight improvement in the mid-range shot. doesn't necessarily have to take a, a ton of those, but if he's going to get them, especially if he has the ball in his hands a lot, maybe kind of improving there. And I think continuing to improve as a passer, and that just means not throwing as many interior passes, kind of focusing more on getting in the lane and throwing out to the three-point line, which we saw a little bit more in the playoffs, but kind of doing that all season long. Yeah, I think that will improve if we have, you know, more, you know, perimeter acumen, you know, more shooters, you know, just for lack of a better term. Um, in terms of the number you would like to see next season, obviously, you know, we'll be doing a season preview for all these guys, most likely, um, whoever's on the roster, obviously, Karis will be. What's the number you would like to see? You know, obviously, like uh, Will mentioned, it's 69% uh, for the free throw percentage, nice. Uh, and the field goal percentage <laughs> from, from three was... Okay, Gronk. <laughs> was, was just uh, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about uh, was just 31% from three what do you what would be a comfortable number what's an ideal number for Karras to get to so in the playoffs he shot 49 uh, 46% from three which Yikes. is not um, sustainable realistic to ask for him but um, no I'd like to see that three point percentage move from 31 to probably 38 I think that's fair to ask and then free throws obviously at least 75% is bottom line what yeah. he can, what he has to hit. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, 37 38%, depending on how many pull-up threes he's taking and how many he's taking per game. Then free throw percentage, I think he should really try to get up to 80%. His shot's not bad, and I think free throw is almost more of a mental game. Yeah, I mean, I would probably be happy with 35%. Uh, I, I think that, you know, the most, if you're talking about like the team three-point shooting, I think the Nets are around that sort of range. So if he can average what the team averages, I'll, I'll be more than happy. Even if it's, if it's a shade under, as long as he's playing, he's shooting it confidently and he's in rhythm. And like you sort of said, Nick, that pull-up three, you know, D'Angelo Russell made it a weapon of his. <clears throat> Karasavert did as well because, you know, he was getting, you know, left that space and time. But if he can shoot that as well, I think it's going to, you know, bode well for him going forward. But, you know, I think that there are areas he can clearly improve on. 
100%. And I think that's kind of what it is. You know, we've seen flashes and different stuff from his game. Now it's like, all right, how are you going to refine it and improve these areas? Just even if it's a slight amount, that's a, how you kind of take that next step. Now, boys, where does uh, Karasovic rank in, ter- <clears throat> in terms of other shooting guards in the NBA? This one was hard for me just because I looked up all the shooting guards in the NBA and I kind of compiled a list of who I think is better. And I never realized that there were so many shooting guards in the NBA that are like, not elite, but very good. So I put him at top 15, but at the bottom of that top 15. Yeah, I think I can put him in the top 10 because of his two-way ability. I think a lot of the guys that are probably above him aren't good defensively or they don't have the full skill set. And I'm basing this off of where he's going to be next year, not where he's at right now. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Um, in terms of, you know, guys like, do you think he's better than a guy like Gary Harris? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, because Gary about... Harris doesn't have the playmaking. Yeah. Um, well, he's probably he's better than a Jalen Brown, obviously. He's a wing. He's just a bigger guy, I think, Will, Jalen Brown. So, like, it's hard for me to consider him as, like, a two-guard because he's almost like a three. But then so, so is Carlos Levert at the same time. Right. Um, and the guys but... that I kind of put are, like, Harden, Clay, Oladipo, DeRozan, Donovan Mitchell, Bradley Beal. And then after that, I mean, it kind of gets a little murky in what you consider to be a better player than Karis LeVert just because there's so many little things that you can nitpick at. Like, oh, Karis is better at this, but, you know, yeah. CJ McCollum is better at this, or Zach Levine is better than this, but Karis is better at this. But it's just, it's hard to, like, put him by, say, top 10, top 15. I definitely say he's better than Zach Levine. Right. Is he better? This is a guy that I remember I put a, a poll out earlier in the season when there was the, the, the minor rumblings about it. Is he better than Devin Booker? Ooh. Two-way wise, 100%. Now, Devin Booker is clearly a better offensive player because he's a more consistent shooter. Playmaking wise, they're pretty similar. I think Karras would have a slight nod, but overall two-way ability, I think Levert's better, but offensively, Devin Booker is in another tier. I did write an article where I said Devin Booker was overrated, so I guess <laughs> I have to stick with that and say that Karis LeVert is better. Also because I'm a Nets fan and I love Karis LeVert. But, um, I think some of it, too, is if you look at Devin Booker, it's like it's he's, in my opinion, one of the hardest players in the entire NBA to gauge because he's been on such a bad team. So how much of his stats are empty? How much is him being really good and the rest of the team sucking? Yeah, I mean, he's had a lot of different coaches over his time in Phoenix, too. So I mean, he's about to have a new coach as well. So, I mean, we'll see what happens there, but... Well, I mean, he's not a great defender. I looked into the stats there. and I mean, he's among one of the worst in the league when it comes to transition defense, and Karras is good at that. So, I mean, it's hard to, like, compare them just because they play to- two totally different games. Yeah, I think the question comes up, would you be willing to include, you know, Karras LeVert in a trade for Devin Booker? And I think some oh. people brought that up on Nets Twitter. So It's a no for me, sir. Yeah, it's a no for me as well. And you um, don't have to answer that. It just sounds like American Idol in some weird way. Um, that show, the fact that that show is still going, is still bewilders me with the the current music climate. But this is not a music podcast. Focus um, <laughs> the movies for pop culture, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, now, boys, uh, what's his role moving forward with the Nets? Obviously, um, he has uh, hopefully a long and, and fruitful future. But what do you guys see for him? I mean, if he stays healthy, it depends on who the Nets add in free agency, if anybody, and who stays, who goes. But, I mean, I think that he could be pretty much one of the focal pieces of this team. I mean, he could be one of the stars of this team moving forward. I mean, he's one of the young core pieces that Marks talks about every time he mentions the future of this team and where this team is headed. So I put him as, you know, one of the franchise pieces to this team moving forward. 
for me, long-term starter, high-level two-way player, you know, the ability to be a starter on a championship-level team, most likely in that third-option role, possibility in the second-option role, depending what else you surround him with. It reminds me of the conversations that I've had with um, with Nick and the, t- the fact that, you know, where does D'Angelo Russell, where does Carousel, where do these guys rank in terms of, you know, championship on a championship team? Now, that's where the Nets want to be. Um, if you have Kevin Durant slash Kawhi Leonard and you have D'Angelo Russell and Carousel Vert, I think that that kind of works um, because Karras and D'Angelo aren't their full, fullest selves yet. They're not in that age range where generally, you know, the guys are at their best, which is generally 27, 28, 25 to 29, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, there's guys that peak later and there's guys that have peak earlier, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I think that that's a, that's a fair call. Yeah, I was going to say, like, these guys were just drafted two, three years ago. So, I mean, it's hard to gauge what they can become, but just based on what we see, obviously I do think that they can have a huge role on a championship team, especially if you add, you know, someone like Kevin Durant or Kawhi Leonard, but we'll get into that in a bit. Yeah, and we talked about this before too as well, Jack, is the fact is he missed so much time in college, so there's still plenty of development for him. That's why we saw such a big jump this year, and I'm excited to see what he can do in another offseason with the Nets crew and that performance team and how they can take him to another step. Yeah, all our young guys just respond ridiculously well to coaching and they savor it, and I think in a, in a really positive way. And I think that all players that come into the Nets do. But I guess speaking to that, guys, what would, how is the offseason going to impact him? And, you know, conversely, how can he impact uh, the offseason in terms of wanting to lure a free agent or, or, or the like? We all know that he works out with Kevin Durant in the offseason. I'm just going to put it out there. But, um, yeah, I think that he's definitely like a young piece that a star or a borderline star could look at and say, hey, you know, this is not only like a good piece that I can work with, this is like a really high elite potential guy that I can work with and we can become a really good team in the future. I mean, this is a not only just a r- role player, he's like, he's a guy who can be a ball handler. He's a guy who can start on a championship team. So I think that he could have a huge influence on when a team looks at the Nets. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, uh, you know, Karis said this, they kind of put the league on notice because they've had such a good season. And a lot of it was him getting her a lot of notoriety in the playoff series. And I think that helps his case. And also the fact he's willing to play defense, that makes it a little bit easier for maybe one of these guys that's aging. They're like, all right, I don't want to necessarily lock up the top guy every night. If I have a guy like Karis, he can do that for me. Will mentioned the relationship he has with Kevin Durant. Obviously, just he also kind of rubbed Jimmy Butler, it seemed like, the right way in that playoff series because Jimmy Butler had nothing but nice things to say about him. And it's not really a Jimmy Butler thing to do. So I think Karras kind of uh, had a positive impact. And then how it could impact Karras would be maybe if they were to sign two stars, he moves into a lesser offensive role and he focuses more on the all-around team type of stuff. Yeah, I'm going to go specific on the Durant stuff, guys. You know, this was probably in late March when he was speaking about, obviously, when D'Angelo Russell was announced to be in that Kevin Durant sort of programming for his sort of network and stuff. But um, And this is, I'm, I'm going to directly quote it because I think it's 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 nice to look back on. What D'Angelo has done on the court and being a leader off the court, guys like Kevin Durant want to be close to him and a part of what he's doing. Uh, I don't think superstars, especially Kevin, want to be the one who has to carry the whole team, the full load on his own. He's in his 30s now, so he definitely wants to go to a team that has a good core, has a good culture, has good guys on the team, and we fit all those categories. We do. And, I mean, I think one of the keys for him is that Karis LeVert is someone who's proven himself on a big stage like the NBA playoffs, opposed to someone like Alonzo Trier or Kevin Knox, just to pull two random names out of a hat. Yeah. Um, I wonder what team they play for. <laughs> I have no idea, just random names. But, um, 
No, I mean, you can look at Karis LeVert and D'Angelo Russell and Jared Allen as guys who are more experienced in terms of seeing the playoff lights and playing together for a year longer. Just, I think that that could be a huge benefit when the free agent is looking at the Nets. Yeah, and I think anytime you have a relationship with somebody for a long time, the relationship goes all the way back to when Karis was at Michigan and had the foot injury. He talked to Katie and things along those lines. So I think that's going to have a positive impact. And just being a good player, I think other players want to play with you, especially when you have a positive attitude. And I've never really heard anyone say anything bad about Karis LeVert from the media to players to coaches, whatever it may be. And that always rubs guys the right way. Well, you'd be on the mic if, if that was the case. We would know about it, though. That's for sure. It'd be all over your Twitter. Dead. I'm just kidding. It'd be, it'd be on your tongue and you'd get a hit out on you'd, you'd John Wick on him. Um, but in, in, in that sort of sense, I think that the, the what he sort of says in relationship to the fact that he's, you know, obviously in the twilight of his career because, you know, he's been in the league for so long, but he's probably got, you know, he has as long as he wants left, but he's not in his prime. And he's in his prime right now, but he's, he's not going to be there for very much longer. And I think in that sense, you know, LeBron has sort of gone to the role where he's wanting to sort of mentor the, all these young guys and, and bring in the sort of, you know, these new elite stars and sort of, you know, uh, bud them along in that sort of sense. I think... Kevin Durant, we haven't seen him necessarily in that role. And, and in terms of what he's valuing going into his next team, obviously, you know, a, a lot of people saying he wants his own team. He wants to just have, you know, happiness, blah, blah, blah. But what is that? You know, does he want to be a mentor to guys like, you know, sort of Will was mentioning that don't have maybe the, the, the high enough potential and while also experiencing on-court success? Or can he impact guys like, you know, his boy in, in Baby KD and, and D'Angelo Russell and the like? So um, it's going to be fascinating to see because, you know, obviously the Kyrie thing um we speak about that incessantly but you know kevin duran and when he gets back hopefully sooner rather than later for, for the golden state warriors is going to change the trajectory of of the nba for the foreseeable future yeah and you mentioned his age for a second you said he's in his 30s i think it's going to be someone who ages well in the nba just because he still has the length and he's obviously kevin duran i mean he's been the top three player in the league the last decade so i, I he will slow down a little bit but i think that he has the game and the way that even with the way the NBA is moving, I don't think that he's going to slow down a lot. Just, yeah, I think they're still going to have for a while. Yeah, I think he definitely can age well. I also think Karis kind of fits well with whatever superstar decides to join the Nets if they do or they don't. But he has the ability to kind of play off ball, ability to kind of create things for you, especially if you're on a team and you're getting double teams a lot. Hey, Karis is a great second option to have. Definitely. And I think that, you know, in terms of, being the out of all the players in the roster, I think that Karras is probably one of the guys that you want the most. You know, I'd rank yep. him above D'Angelo. I'd probably rank him above, you know, uh, Spencer Dillman for his just defensive two-way ability and his ability to do things without the ball in his hands. I think that Nick sort of touched on, you know, his slashing and cutting ability. I think that that's an area, you know, with Kevin Durant, who has gotten uh, a lot better as a passer. Uh, I think that he could utilize... Obviously, it's ideal dream scenarios, but um, in that sort of sense, I think Karras is a perfect fit on any team, and, and it's why you know we didn't trade him when that Jimmy Butler trade was, and, and all the sort of rumors were flying around when we didn't trade him in the first place, despite the fact that Corey and Corey has made this point incessantly. Bill Simmons said that we should have. Yeah, man, it was a really smart move, and now they're in a position where hey, they might end up getting Jimmy Butler or another superstar, and they'll still have Karras on the roster. Yeah, and he's kind of in the position where any superstar would work with him, like you guys mentioned before. Just, I mean, any kind of free agent out there could look at Karis LeBurn and say, all right, he's a playmaker. He's a ball handler. I can, I have the ability to play off ball. I have the ability to handle the ball and give it to him, and he can make his own play. I don't have to, you know, carry the load the whole time. And that's kind of something that would be really ideal to a free agent that not a lot of other teams have. 
and he can take on the load defensively. And then also I love the hustle and just the overall culture he brings, just the character he has. I think, like Jack mentioned, he's the most attractive piece on the Nets roster in terms of other players looking to join the team. Uh, final one, guys. This is an unprompted question. Karis Levert obviously is going to be re-signed sooner rather than later whenever it happens. What do you think is, you know, his contractual, you know, ceiling or what do you think the money that he could earn maybe on the open market or within the, the Book of Nets organization? It's really hard to say because obviously DeAnza Russell is the focal point, but I thought that I'd just uh, throw a curveball at you. Yeah, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to gauge. Just um, I want to see what D'Angelo gets first before I answer that because I think that they are going to get similar numbers. Uh, it will also be interesting to see, you know, what Karis does this season, how much of a step up can he take, if any, or is he the player that we saw in the postseason? You know, I think it's going to be hard to gauge. Uh, I think the extension will come at some point next season before he hits the open market just because he's such a vital piece to this Nets team. But, I mean, I'm not 100% sure what he will get. So he can, he's open for an extension after July 1st because, he, you know, this is the extension year for him. I would do something that, like Will mentioned, a very similar deal to D'Angelo Russell because I think you have to view those players in a similar light. And if the Nets are smart, they could get ahead of this after, you know, the free agent business kind of slows down after the first couple of weeks, extend Levert and maybe get him at a lesser price because they're doing it before the season. Will and I both like the Packers. They do this a lot. They'll extend a player before it's necessary, and then all of a sudden they have him on a long-term deal at a cheaper price. And I think if the Nets get ahead of it, they might be able to save themselves some money in the long term. Well, that basically happened with the guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. Exactly. You know, we, got, we got him for, for three years, $35 million around that sort of range. And you know, Spencer Dinwiddie is you know, a $15 million per annum player in my eyes, if not maybe even greater. He's one of the, he's probably, you know, if you're talking starter level point guard, then that, that is quite easy. And I think that, you know, Karras will probably get more than Spencer. I think he might get maybe less than D'Angelo. I don't know. I think whether it's 15 to $18 million range, how long is the deal? Um, just thought I'd throw one out, out there because it, it's some decent soundbite potential. I think you could get 20. I think you could get 20 for like four years. But the in, does the injury history not worry you a little bit? Like obviously, I mean, if you're comparing, maybe Zach Levine getting that four years, $76 million deal. Is that sort of something that you look to as, a, as an ideal model? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think the injury this year is just bad luck. Like that could literally happen to anybody. If you're falling on your ankle at that angle, it's it's going to dislocate. Like you could be a superhuman, like that's just going to happen. So like this year, the injury in my eyes was just bad luck. Other injuries, yeah, there's something to be concerned about. But I also really value the Nets performance team and what they're going to do. They'll probably give their info on it. And obviously their team doctor is the one that did the foot injury for him. Since it wasn't a reoccurring injury, it's not like he broke his foot again this year. It was a dislocation of something that's really just bad luck. I'm not as concerned about that. Yeah, and I mean, the key difference between him and Levine is that Levine was on the open market. I mean, obviously, yeah. he's a restricted free agent, but Karras, I mean, we're hoping to get him locked up before he hits that open market. And the one guy who's kind of in a similar situation, obviously, without the injured history was Victor Oladipo. And I mean, you look at his contract now, it seems like a steal compared to what he puts up. And I mean, I, that's kind of like a similar thing with what the Nets can do with Karras Levert, you know, lock him up before he becomes that free agent and before he really hits his peak and see what he can do after he gets the contract. And it seems like Kenny, Sean, they really love him, not just on the court, but off the court. He kind of exemplifies everything they want in terms of a player. Very fair, intelligent points, lads. Very, very fair indeed. Any other thoughts, questions you want to throw at us, Will? No, I mean, I just, I'm excited to see what he can do, you know. He's just 
he's the future of this team. And I mean, obviously D'Angelo Russell's there too, but him and D'Angelo Russell are really what we built this team around. And I'm just excited to see what they can do next year, hopefully with a star. Do you guys think they'll have Karasilver at meetings if they do have any of the big free agents in-house? No. Uh, I mean, depends on who it is. And I don't think that, you know, if you have the guys, it depends on what um, what players are there. You know, if it's Kawhi Leonard, I don't think he cares who's at the, the meeting. <laughs> if, it's, if it's Kevin Durant, you probably have them just because they work out together and they have a history together. But other than him, I I wouldn't see it just because Karis LeVert isn't locked up long-term yet. Yeah, and maybe you have, like, if it's, I don't know, Kyrie, you might have D'Angelo there. Obviously, there's, I think a lot of players, a lot of people think about, you know, Kyrie and D'Angelo, and they just think, oh, well, they just don't work together. But, you know, Kyrie Irving has worked best when, you know, and Stephen Curry, you know, has worked best when, you know, he's had, he doesn't necessarily, is the focal playmaker on the team. And I think Kyrie Irving could be the same thing with D'Angelo. And that's that's another point. But I remember just thinking after we recorded, Nick, as I, like, was driving to, to my footy game yesterday, I'm like, D'Angelo and Kyrie, I was just thinking in my head about it, and this is completely off point, but I was just thinking like, look, if you want to be you know, a, a really high ceiling, high potential championship team, you need to have a top 10 player on your team. And, you know, we spoke about, you know, would we rather get, you know, Nikola Meritich and Juancho Hernan Gomez than, you know, Kyrie Irving and D'Load and sort of that weird sort of fit, you know, with Karras and, and the rest. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess schematically it makes the most sense, but you know, if you want to just get guys, and you know, obviously the next year's free agent class just doesn't really work, um, and the Nets aren't going to get better and, and high level talent, and I don't think that we're going to develop anyone that's going to be you know a top five player in the NBA, um, as good as D'Angelo and Karras are and could be. You know, Kyrie Irving, despite his poor postseason performance, maybe in a different scenario, different. Um, maybe it could be. It's just, uh, maybe I'm thinking a, a little bit too rosy and a little bit too optimistically about it all. Yeah. I feel like uh, the way I view it is, like, I look at Karras and I think his best position is at two. Like, I think when you put him at the three, he's a little bit undersized. So if you were to do that, then you're pushing Karras down to the, the three spot. He's a little undersized, going to have a harder time defending threes. And then you have Kyrie and D'Lo, probably arguably the worst defensive backcourt in the NBA. So yeah. I think defensively it would really scare me. Offensively it would be a ton of fun. But I just think like Karis compliments a really good scoring point guard very well. Is it D'Angelo? Is it Kyrie? And I think he could play alongside, you know, other great point guards in this league. And that's kind of one reason that his skill set's so good with this current NBA. Yeah, and I haven't been on since uh, you guys started talking free agency. Just a quick point on Kyrie. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that I'm not a big fan of Kyrie to Brooklyn. I have a lot of thoughts on that that you can scroll through my Twitter feed and see. But just a quick synopsis, I don't think it would work well. But, I mean, hey, I'd love to be proved wrong. Obviously, Kyrie Irving is um, a top, probably top 15 player in the NBA right now. And, I mean, obviously, if we got him, we'd make it work because he is just so talented. But I'm just overall not a huge fan of him coming to Brooklyn. I think with the guards we already would have, including Spencer, it would you'd probably be forced your hand to make a trade. Yeah, because you can't – I mean, Spencer, Cares, and D'Lo all are good at handling the ball, and you add Kyrie to that. That's four, you know, guys who can have the ball in their hands that if it's in a possession. Like, that's just – obviously, you're not going to play all four of them at once, and, you know, those are all guys who would probably demand 30 minutes or more a game, and that's just going to be really hard to manage with all four of them on the roster. So it'd be really hard to have them all together. 
Nah, let's get weird with the guys. Let's go 2014, 15, 16, Phoenix Suns. Get all the point guards in the NBA and just roll with it. It worked out didn't really work well out. for them. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out too well. But they didn't have Kyrie Irving. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just... It was just some musings and thoughts in my head. And, you know, I, I happen to have a platform where I can share those. Probably not the best um, time to do it. Maybe um, should have kept it to myself. But you know, fuck it. <laughs> no, it's fuck it. I think it actually made me think about something. I think uh, Karis works really well with D'Angelo, obviously. But I also think he's a great compliment as well to Kyrie Irving. Yeah, he'd be amazing with Kyrie Irving. And um, maybe sometimes I should keep thoughts and musings to myself. But uh, if you dislike them at the J-Man JBT, or if you like them. Or if you like them, yeah. And you can follow Will. Will, what's the Twitter handle? WJAX99 underscore underscore. It's two underscores because Twitter is stupid sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. that double. Twitter stupid. And you can follow me at OTG, OTG Nick, OTG underscore Nick. And guys, that wraps it up. Obviously, great time talking to you, especially when it's about Karis Avert. Check out the show, iTunes, Bok Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. And like we mentioned on the previous show, Check out designtree.com slash off the glass for some Brooklyn Buzz t-shirts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.